Good morning. Today we're going to continue our series with uh, flirting with disaster, and, and the topic that I was assigned is lust. And as I do, I'm going to start by telling you a story. This is a, not, uh, a fiction, story of fiction. It's not true. Uh, but it, it involves three preachers and their wives. They decided one night they were going to go out to dinner, and they were in a horrible accident, and they all were killed. Well, they arrive at the pearly gates of heaven, and they are facing St. Peter, and St. Peter says, I know you are all devoted Christians, but for protocol purposes, I need to look up your records. So he punches some keys on the computer, and he studies the screen for a minute, and he looks at the first preacher, and he grimly shakes his head, and he says, he says, it says here that you lusted after alcohol, but although you weren't an alcoholic and you never overindulged, lust is just as bad as the deed itself. So, boom, there, he and his wife are banished to hell. Does the same for the second preacher. He looks at the second preacher and again shakes his head and says, hey, you know, records show that you lusted after money and possessions, and though you didn't have much, Though you didn't have much, you lived as poor as church mice. You wouldn't even marry a woman until you found a, a, a woman named Penny. So boom, you're banished to hell. He looks at the third preacher and he says, well, here we go. And the preacher sat down and he says, St. Peter, he says, don't waste your time. He turns to his wife and says, come on, Fanny, let's go. So the point of that story and what I wanted to identify is that oftentimes when we think about lust, we solely and, and most commonly think about lust as a sexual desire, but lust as it's defined is a strong desire for someone or something that controls your thoughts and your actions either consciously or subconsciously. So today, if you will, either turn or click to James chapter 1. We'll start in verse 12, and I'm going to read, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, the root of lust defined is an, is an insatiable craving to gratify your fleshly desires by seeking to satisfy a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. And the truth is, you can lust after money and possessions, you can lust after food, you can lust after alcohol, you can lust after cigarettes, you can lust after recognition, or anything else that has honestly mastered you. And when you lust after someone or something, here's the real issue. You've been mastered by something else. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus speaks of this type of fleshly desire when he says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see, there is no gray area here. You can have a grand total of only one master, and when your lustful desires turn into habit, 
you have been mastered by something else other than Jesus. And quite honestly, when that happens, that lust is going to leave a nasty scar on your life. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. For Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, <clears throat> and you are not your own? For you were, brought, you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, the Apostle Paul talks about glorifying God in body and in spirit. And he wrote that not all things are lawful and helpful, nor should you be brought under the power of any of these. You see, the reality is, is that oftentimes you like to make it, you can do this, but you can't do that kind of thing. <clears throat> you list some things that are good, you list some things that are bad. But there are certain things that you just can't explain. There are certain things that you can't just make okay. You can't, you can't make pornography okay. You just can't. It's a sin, pure and simple. You can't explain that away. But there are so many other areas in our lives that aren't so black and white. There are certain things that are permissible, and the issue isn't whether they are permissible. The issue is... Has it mastered you? You know, an A1 thick and hearty burger from Whataburger is permissible. There's nothing wrong with two patties, grilled onions, bacon, A1 sauce on a buttery bun. Don't forget the cheese. <laughs> that is totally permissible. But has the drive through line mastered you? And if so, then you have crossed a, you've crossed a line into a territory that is sinful. TV is permissible, but how many hours of TV do you watch? Can you even be in your house without your TV being on? And whatever it might be, it becomes lustful when it seizes control. And instead of you controlling your spending, your spending controls you. And if, instead of you controlling your food and your appetite, the food controls you. And instead of you just having a drink, the drink has you. And you know what the reality is, is in these cases, something has mastered you and you are not free. 
You are a slave to the lust of whatever that might be. You know what? It might not be one of the big lusts, but that's not the issue here. We're not ranking them in any sort of way. We're not prioritizing them at all. The issue is, you have to ask yourself, has something, has anything mastered you? Now let's talk about lust in the context of sexuality. When it comes to lust and sex, many of you may be failing because you are naive to the power of lust. You might think of it as a rubber snake when in actuality it's a king cobra. And you don't understand and until you gain a biblical knowledge of how strong and powerful that lust can be, it'll never be helpful for you. Statistically, did you know that 30.3 billion searches a day for porn sites on the internet? That's 962 per second. That's 63,992 new visitors arrive to a porn site each minute. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, <clears throat> and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. You see, it's important to, for me to point out to you that lust originates in the flesh. And the Bible tells us that. The origin is found in the flesh and the portals of the soul, which includes the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, <clears throat> and the pride of life. And we can read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, says, Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life isn't of the Father, but of this world. You see... I want to point out that under God, sexuality is a gift that is to be enjoyed by married adults within the context of a loving relationship. But see, sexuality has been perverted and misappropriated into lewd acts of lust and self-gratification by society. And it goes, it goes against everything that God has planned. In Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is created, it tells us that Adam and Eve cleave to one another and they become one flesh. See, that was sexual intimacy and was seen by God to be a good thing. And in the story of Abraham and Sarah, when, when Sarah was told that she would be given birth to her first child at an old age, her first response is, well, I have, well, I have paradise with my husband again. That paradise that Sarah was asking about was sexual intimacy with Abraham. And the Song of Solomon speaks of the virtues and blessings of romantic and erotic love right there in the middle of your Bibles. So the sexual desire is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But it was intended to unite a man and a woman in a marital relationship to strengthen and, pro and provide a covenantal relationship for, for one another for a lifelong commitment. 
You know, and there's something spiritual about it, and it's meant to bond you with another. The passion, the joy, and even the laughter that sometimes results from sexual intimacy was intended by God. It is spiritual, it is holy, and it is sacred. And it is an act that bonds two people together. See, but the problem is, is that when you change sexual intimacy into something which it's not meant to be, and it's about your needs and your fulfillment, it's not, <clears throat> what you end up doing is feeding and satisfying yourselves through lust. So you bond with the person, and then you pull away, and you bond with the person, and you pull away, and next thing you know, you're having all these one-night stands. It's like putting two pieces of duct tape together, and when you rip them apart, it's never a clean break. There's always something stuck there. And the reason why there's always something stuck there is because you gave yourselves to them wholly, and they did to you as well. And false expectations might have been formed, and you may have objectified this individual and performed this act out of self-gratification, and they might have done the same with you. But there's never a clean break. And what happens over time is that you start to lose your capacity to bond. And what you find is that misuse of God's gift does only trivializes sex. And when you do that, sex becomes <clears throat> more about gratifying your needs and your desires without, anyone, without concern for anyone else. And the reality of all this is, is that goes against everything that Jesus taught. It is contradictory to your call to be like Jesus and be concerned with others. I have a friend, not a friend, I used to be a friend, that a um, long time ago I went to her wedding and after 15 years of marriage she had an affair and got pregnant. Had to tell her husband. And out of retribution her husband went off and had an affair of his own. Thinking, alright, well that's what I'm going to do then. We're even. You know what happened? Their marriage didn't last. And they ended up getting a divorce. And that's what lust does. It takes good gifts from God and it causes you to stand destroying your relationships and hurting others and distracting you from God. Think about a woman that I knew in college who slept with multiple people until one night she ended up sleeping with multiple men consecutively. And in her late 30s, she had a complete mental breakdown. She's now in her mid-40s, and she's just now pulling her life together from all that, from those choices. I think about a previous coworker that in her mid to late 20s, early 30s, she would go out to bars all the time just to meet men's, men because she was so desperate to be in a relationship and to find a husband, but she would sleep with them without ever really getting to know them. And it wasn't until her late 30s that she finally turned her life around and, and got married. 
That was all because she distorted and misused God's gift. See, I'm telling you these stories just to bring awareness to the deadliness of lust and sin. You know, there's a man that had this brand new house built. And when he moved in, he realized that it was infected by mice. So he got these real, real nice glue traps that have a scent that attracts the mice to them. And he found that they were very successful. And he got pretty good at it because, you know, you catch the mice, you still had to, you had to kill them and dispose of them. Until one morning he got up and he goes in there and he sees this, this mouse who's partially on this glue trap and was so desperate to get off that trap, it was actually gnawing its own foot off. And you think about how that pertains to lust in your lives. It smells good. It feels good. It looks good. But the reality is that you find yourself stuck on that glue trap. And as much as you want to break free and you try to break free, you find that you're stuck and it has a grasp on your life. And that's what lust will do to you. But it's important for you to understand that it doesn't start with the act. Lust starts with a thought. If you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 and 28. It's a very, very common passage here by Jesus. You have heard that it is said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. See, now Jesus doesn't literally mean to cut off your hand, but what he is saying is that it is serious business that you can put at risk the people around you, and more importantly, your soul, so don't do it. This is something I'm just going to add in. I, um, a while ago, I had this, I had this friend over time, our, our conversations became more flirtatious. And I found myself wrestling with the thought of the maybe and attraction. And it wasn't, and what I realized, it wasn't saying no instantly. It was a fact that I continually thought about it. I didn't think of it at the time as lust, but that is what lust is. I let it master me. I let it consume me and my thoughts. And you know what I had to do is I had to stop. I had to stop the thoughts. And I had to distance myself. That's the only solution. You see, this is the way lust works in your lives. Once again in James, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
Then when desire has conceived, conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But please, please understand that temptation is not sin. And more importantly, temptation is not a losing battle. There's a story of a cowboy that came into Christ. And he was asked one morning by the preacher, he says, how's your walk with Christ coming along? And he says, you know what, preacher? I have to tell you, every day it's like my heart's been torn in two by two teams of horses. And the preacher asked him, he says, well, who's winning? And he says, quite honestly, it's whichever one I say giddy up to each morning. You see, the point is, is that temptation is not a losing battle. You can resist it, but you also choose to act upon it. Who are you going to say giddy up to each morning? And in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, Paul writes in his letter to the church at Rome, when we... <clears throat> Excuse me. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do. But then he gives an answer. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, part of what you have to decide is who are you going to serve each morning? Is it going to be you, yourself, and your desires? Or is it going to be God's desire for you? You see, lust must be executed by the Spirit. It must be put to death. And you know the way that's possible? There's only one way that's possible. And that's through the cross. No person can overcome lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life without the cross. See, the cross is what sets you free and enables you to walk with the grace of God. Let's talk about the reality of lust. And I'm going to use a story, story found in Samuel, 2 Samuel about... <clears throat> David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. It's a very common story. You all might know it, but to summarize it, while Joab and all, all of Israel was out defeating the people of Ammon, David stayed back. One night, David, David went out to his rooftop. He looks over. He sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, wife of Uriah, bathing. And he instantly began to lust after her. He lusted after her so much that he actually sent his messengers to go get her and bring her to him, and which they did. And David slept with her. But there was a problem. He slept with her, and he sent her home. But she conceived his child. Now David sent my message to Joab and said, hey, bring Uriah back to me. His thoughts were, okay, well, if I can get him back, he'll want to go home and sleep with his wife, and then perhaps I can make it to where it's Uriah's. But guess what? Uriah was so loyal that he wouldn't even leave the palace. 
David held a feast for him, got him drunk. He still wouldn't leave. So David then told Joab, he said, hey, take Uriah and put him in the hottest battle because you knew what was going to happen. He knew Uriah would be killed. And that's what happened. And then David sent for Bathsheba and he ended up marrying her. But God was displeased for obvious reasons. But what I want to take away and what we learn from this story today is that there are five stages to lust. Stage one is idleness. You see, there's a, there's a quote that says, if the idle hands are the devil's workshop, then an idle mind is around. You see, that, notice that when David, David was lazy and stayed back, when all the other kings were out and his country was fighting, David was idle. He was tempted, and that's where his failure began. He didn't take the war seriously. You see, many of you might not take the battle in your mind seriously as well. You may even question the devil's existence. You may even choose to tempt temptation. But you, when you do this, you grossly underestimate the power that Satan can have in your lives. Because you know what he wants to do? He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy your families. He wants to destroy your lives. And all he's doing is waiting for you to drop your guard. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The second stage is interest. Lust has an insatiable appetite. And if you feed it, it only craves more. You know, there's a certain type of ant that loves the tasty secretions of the caterpillar that supplies the blue butterfly. And these adult ants love it so much that they actually seek out these caterpillars and they bring them back to their colony. But unwittingly, they don't know is that the caterpillar devours and loves their larva. But they, they are so addicted to those secretions that they have no idea that their larva is being devoured by that caterpillar and that the existence of their colony is being jeopardized. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You think about entice. Entice is a term. It's a fishing term to lure by using bait. That the number one <clears throat> lure for catching bass is called a jig. And there's just enough skirt on that jig to hide a hook. And the devil understands that. If he can get your interest peaked with lust, you're well on your way to getting hooked. Stage three is intoxication. I want to tell you that stage three intoxication is this is the tendency to flirt with lust by trying to get as close to sin 
without sinning as possible. It's a wealthy couple that wanted to hire a chauffeur. And they narrowed their choices down to four individuals. She brought him up to her balcony. She said, hey, you see that brick wall there next to my driveway? How close can you get my car without damaging it to that brick wall? And the first guy says, I can probably get it within a foot without damaging your car. The second driver says, you know what? I can get that car within six inches of that wall without damaging it. The third says, I guarantee you I can get that car within three inches of that wall without damaging your, without damaging your car. The fourth driver says, you know, I don't know how close I could get that car to that wall without damaging it. But what I'd rather do is stay as far away from that wall as I could. You see, he had a different focus. He understood that driving and being successful wasn't about how close you could get to danger without being damaged, but having the mental state of mind of staying as far away from it as you could, as he could. You see, David began to fantasize and develop plans to gratify his lust. He began to ignore his conscience and to justify his convictions. He was consumed with Bathsheba. You see, any time a person begins to dwell in his mind the possibility of sin, he is well on his way to sinning. And then there's the law of diminishing return. The more you look, the more you desire. It's exciting the first time. It's less exciting the second time. And it's boring the third time. You might start out by looking at a Playboy. That might turn into softcore porn. On, your, on the road to hardcore porn. And next thing you know, you have a full-on addiction. And only the raunchiest material gives you the satisfaction that you crave. Stage four is indulgence. See, David was no longer satisfied with the dream. He wanted to experience the goods. So he abused his authority. And he got, brought something to him that wasn't his. It didn't belong to him. And that was Bathsheba. And he acted upon his lust. See, David stepped out of this fantasy and in reality stepped into a nightmare. What looks good from a distance is poison to the soul. And I want to point out that each outward act of sin is preceded by an inward act of choice. Stage five is incineration. You see, if what David did wasn't bad enough, he then set out to eliminate any evidence that would demonstrate his guilt and shame. And if, and if committing adultery wasn't enough, he had Uriah murdered. See, this is the nature of the flesh. Now, you might not murder someone, right? But sin always has a payday. 
And the truth is, is that you're going to find an excuse to escape the pain, the penalty, and the power of sin. It's nature of the flesh. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then you can look in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And the result of lust... In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, tells us to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You see, lust destroys your convictions. Think about it. A little lust led David to commit acts of adultery and murder, and it will eventually cause you to lose your ability to judge right from wrong. B, lust will destroy your character. Lust destroys your reputation. Lust destroys your integrity. And you lose both your credibility and your confidence. Quite honestly, because you have no sense of morality or self-control. And importantly, lust destroys your connections. As a result of his sin, David lost his intimacy with God, he lost his son, and he lost his kingdom. Lust will separate you from your fellowship with God. Lust will separate you from your spouse and kids. Lust will separate you from your friends and family. Lust will destroy your ability to love with purity. And it taints the soul. But there's a remedy. And the remedy, and a demonstration of the remedy, I'm going to use out of Genesis chapter 39 with the story of Joseph and the Potiphar's wife. Once again, a very popular story in the Bible. But you see, the Potiphar's wife lusted after Joseph. She did everything in her power to seduce him, to tempt him and to trick him to the point that Joseph fled. And this story provides us with a few stages and examples of the remedy of lust that I want to point out. And the first one is be accountable. See, Joseph said he couldn't indulge because he would have to answer to Potiphar and to God. So I ask you, who holds you accountable? Do you have a net nanny for the internet? Do you have a ratings block on your TV? Who, do you answer to someone regularly for your choices? Everyone needs accountability. The second stage of remedy is count the cost. You see, Joseph recognized all that he would lose if he engaged in the proposition. So you ask yourself, is it worth losing respect for yourself? Is it worth the guilt and emotional turmoil? Is it worth the shame and the damage to your reputation? Is it worth the risk of disease? 
Is it worse getting divorced or estranged from your spouse? Is it worth it? Reminds me of a story I read in Reader's Digest a while back about this man and his wife. They're in the mall shopping. This young lady walks by, very provocative and form-fitting dress. She's a beautiful woman. And the man nonchalantly watches her as she disappears out of sight. And without looking up, his wife says, was she worth all the trouble you're in? Is it worth it? Stick to your convictions. The idea is to always keep up your guard. You see, Potiphar's wife was relentless. She used every means necessary to tempt, to trick, and to try to seduce Joseph. But he stuck to his convictions. He chose to believe the commands of God over the Potiphar's wife. And it's important for you to remember that while lust makes great promises, it only delivers a lie. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Immerse yourself with the Lord and his word. That's how you empower yourself. The last stage to remedy is flee the folly and fight the urge. Do whatever it takes to avoid lust. Joseph found himself in the clutches of the Potiphar's wife, and he ran away, leaving his torn garments in her hand. Get out of it. Separate yourselves at all costs. That is the only remedy. And in close today, I just want to remind you that lust doesn't discriminate. It craves passion. It creates affection. It it needs fulfillment. It's the right words. It's cars. It's money. It's food. It's sex. could even be your phone. It doesn't discriminate. I grew up in an environment full of lust, sinful lust. You may struggle with something of one another. It might be alcohol. It might be cigarettes. It might be drugs. It might be sex or porn. It might be food. It might be money or possessions. Perhaps your phone. Perhaps the internet. Perhaps it's TV. But what consumes your subconscious? What consumes your mind? What has mastered you? That's what you need to ask yourself. The truth is, is I didn't wait for a wife named Brandy or Sherry. I lust after alcohol. I don't like it. I hate it. But in my weakest moments, I desire it. And the reality is, is you might not be able to relate to that type of struggle or that type of lust, but everyone in this room has something you lust after. Everyone in this room has a weakness and has, a, has something that you desire. My poor choices 
have almost cost me my dear wife and family. You see, your relationship should be, with God should be lustful. And in your weakest moments, you should desire him. That's what God wants. It's not too late. And if you need help from the church to start, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.